It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lordson. It's an exciting and auspicious episode here on This Might Get Uncomfortable today because we have our very first return guest ever. So far in the history of this podcast, Mr. Jason Green is back here. And for those of you longtime listeners, or if it's your first time, our previous episode with Jason Green about the world of attachment styles is currently our most downloaded episode. And the response and the comments and the shares have been absolutely phenomenal for that episode. So we decided to invite our good friend Jason back for a second time. And some things are different this time around. First of all, when we recorded that first episode with Jason about attachment styles, I was single at that time. Now I am in a relationship and I feel like I'm getting to apply some of the lessons and the perspectives and the wisdom that Jason Green shared with us on that previous episode. And it's been absolutely fascinating to go back and reference some of those touch points and some of the gold nuggets that he dropped in that episode. Did you actually reference them? What's that? You went back and referenced some of the points that he made or just from memory? From memory, yeah. And in particular, the aspects of how my avoidant behavior shows up and how that intermingles with the other attachment styles. So rather than it being a theoretical conversation, or Jason Green just dropping knowledge bombs all over the place. Now it's been like, oh, I remember what he said about that and how I show up. So with all that said, Jason Green, thank you for being back here, man. It's so exciting to have you and looking forward to seeing where the hell this episode goes. (laughs) I mean, I want to start off by saying it must be so fascinating because we recorded with Jason Green in February 2020, and now it's June 2020. And you know, a lot has changed in the world. First of all, we hadn't quite experienced much of COVID in the United States at that point. So we saw Jason Green in person before we went into quarantine, and now we're recording remotely. So a lot has shifted in that sense. And I'm so glad that we got to meet you in person, Jason Green, because now I feel like I just have a more intimate experience of you since we're going to talk a lot about intimacy today. But It's also been amazing because you've been on quite the journey with your career since then and just a short amount of time and how much has shifted. And I imagine some people are listening to this episode that found you through TikTok, which is ultimately how I found you in the first place. That's how you and I met was through TikTok. And we've done TikTok workshops together just to share your experience and all of the things that you're learning through using the platform. and. Gosh, I mean, when you came on the show last time, I felt like you were somebody who had read a book and felt passionate about. But I imagine your knowledge and passion for relationship attachments has grown so much since that last recording. So I'm really excited to dive in with you. Well, thank you guys for having me a second time. I was curious if I was going to be the first repeat. That's awesome. Yeah, you know, I was going to joke with Jason. It's been four months. I assume that once he figured out he was avoidant, that he's already been married and had children by then. But uh, sounds like he's at least using some of that (laughs) stuff. (laughs) Wouldn't that be incredible if if it was that easy? 
Oh, I know my attachment styles. Now all of my relationship problems are over. <laughs> exactly. That's what I tell people on TikTok. Like, okay, here's this is kind of just a tool. You still have to do some work. You know, it's not going to fix everything overnight, but it's a good start. Yeah. I mean, I feel really eager to dive in and ask you so many things that you've learned just through corresponding with people on TikTok. First of all, what is the audience that you're reaching the most? I'm sure you can see this a bit through TikTok analytics. How old are these people? I feel like through a scan of your accounts, it seems like it's mostly women. Is that right? Or do you know what the ratio is, men to women? It's 90% women, which I kind of expected. Wow. Wow. And how about age range? I haven't seen age, but I would say it's probably 20 and 30 year olds. Because, you know, TikTok's still kind of a younger audience, but, you know, there are some of us old people on there. So, but it definitely is. It's a younger crowd, I guess. But I mean, there's teenagers too, of course, but. For the most part, I'd say it's 20 to 30-year-old women are the main audience. Well, first of all, what is it like for you since this is so new and it's not like you've been studying as a therapist or even an author and suddenly you're being viewed as a bit of an expert on this subject matter? And what does that even feel like to be seen as somebody that's really knowledgeable with something and people are coming to your account to learn from you? What does that feel like? Well, it's awesome for one thing. It is a little weird because, well, in my bio, I put not a therapist because I don't want people to, you know, because I get a lot of other questions, you know, and I'm trying to stay specific to this. I can give my own opinion, of course, off my own experiences, but it is weird because I also have, there's like four or five other people talking about mental health and they're psychologists or therapists. So it's kind of weird to see them follow me or, or like give me good comments. Like, you know, I'm like, okay, I got it right. Cause there's always that fear. Like, I don't want to give the wrong information, but yeah, it's amazing. It's weird every day. It's hard to just keep up with the comments right now, but every day, you know, I kind of, every day I get something like, oh, well, you called me out on this or something like that, or how did TikTok know I need to hear this? You know, so it's kind of cool to see that or, you know, just kind of the positive experiences or sometimes people break up with people based on what I say too, but. (laughs) What? How do you know that? They tell you? So I did one recently. It was about anxious, basically how hard it is for an anxious person to leave the avoidant because you see all the good and you see the potential. And so I posted that. It was like three, four videos ago. And people are like, I'm breaking up with him today. I'm like, oh, I didn't mean that. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I mean, that's quite a feeling of almost power. That to me is a whole nother level of influence because the word influence gets tossed around so much and what it means to be an influencer. But I mean, this really is a form of influence. You're not just trying to get people to buy something. You're getting somebody to rethink their lives and their behavior and make different decisions based on what you're sharing. And so that is a sense of power that you have and authority and expertise that you're developing here. How much preparation do you do before you record these? I'm so fascinated. I mean, TikTok is such an amazing platform because you certainly could go on there and spend literally seconds to make a video. And that's been my experience sometimes. And other times I'll spend upwards of of maybe an hour if I'm doing like a recipe or something like that and doing things in multiple steps. It just takes a while. For you, Jason, I've been meaning to ask you this. (laughs) I don't know why I haven't yet, but your style is that you film yourself and generally you're not speaking. You're putting text on the screen. So in essence, you could just like record a bunch of videos of yourself in different locations and then figure out what you're going to put on the screen later as text. Is that how you do it? Or do you actually know what you're going to write on screen before you record your video? So I try to mix up between 15 and 60 seconds. 
with the 15, I usually do just a text and I probably spend 10 to 15 minutes thinking about what I'm going to do, you know, and then I have like four books I'm reading right now about attachment. And so I kind of will find something and I'm like, oh, that's a good one to use. And then I will usually, if you follow me on TikTok, you'll see I'm usually outside. I kind of have a theme where I'm like out hiking. And so that's kind of where I do it. In like cac- in like in front of cactuses in Arizona, right? That's where you're based. Yeah, Tucson. And so I try to make it, you know, interesting background. So that was kind of my, you know, with anything, I think with influencers, sometimes they have a theme. And so I was like, you know, what? I'm already hiking. Let me go ahead and just do it out here. And so no, I have actually a little note card sometimes because I can't remember everything I'm saying, of course. So I have a little note card that I have to kind of help me, you know, at preparation. But um, so I spend probably 10 to 15 minutes a day just trying to think of the next thing. Or if I see a song that's trending, I'm like, how can I make this apply? How can I get this theme, I guess, to go with it? So I, could, I really want to try the, like I did one about sex. And so I did Salt and Pepper, you know, uh, <laughs> but I did Push It. They didn't have a, let's talk about sex, but I was like, I'll do Push It, you know? And so kind of get you in that, I guess, sex mind. Yeah. It definitely gets me uh, when I want to get in sex mind, Salt and Pepper. <laughs> that's <laughs> 80s, 90s R&B all the way. Wait, are you serious, Jade? I can't tell if you're serious about that because I would believe it if you told me that was a true statement. I think that it's a bit on the nose, you know, 80s and 90s R&B. Like if someone comes with like Pony, right, by Genuine. (laughs) Great song. Yeah, but you're probably going to laugh. And then, you know, laughter is a good sexual lubricant mentally. But I don't know that like I'd have that playing while I'm actually having sex. Like pre-sex, it'd be like, oh, haha, you're funny, you're cute. And like, okay, yeah, now, now we're gonna get it on. But playing during sex, it's funny. I feel like a lot of songs about sex are so on the nose that actually having sex to them is too much. It's too much. Like, you're going to have sex to, like, let's get it on by Marvin Gaye. It's a little too, like, direct. It's like, okay, we know what we're doing here. Got it. That's how I feel about it. But as a pregame warm-up, excellent choices. Jason Green, do you feel comfortable talking about sex on this platform knowing that there's a younger audience on TikTok? I mean... For me, like a 20 to 30 year old women, they can absolutely handle it. But you also could potentially be reaching teenagers. And you as a parent have this different insight into that age range. How old are your kids? 17 to 24, four of them. Okay. So they're not that. Actually, they're kind of like the perfect age range for you to reflect on things with. I doubt that they want to talk with their dad about sex, but I could be wrong. Yeah, it's funny as I was the first one actually on TikTok of all of us. So now they are slowly coming over. I'm like the one telling them, come on, get on here. It's fun. <laughs> and so do you ever run ideas by your, are they both sons? So it's two girls, two boys, but the one that's home is a boy. Okay. For some reason, I was thinking two kids. So you have four kids total. Yes. And so, wow. I mean, you've got, that's great that you can ask them you know, what they would think about these things if you felt comfortable. Do they want to discuss this with you? Do they want to share their input? Or are they like, no, dad, that's your thing. We don't really care. Well, my oldest son, lately, he's got, when I had that one video go viral, he's been like keeping track of it. And so he's always coming up with stuff before he was like anti-social media. My 17-year-old that lives with me, he's embarrassed by all of it, pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's like a trend you see on TikTok is parents doing things and writing in their captions that their kids are really embarrassed by them. And it's funny how that works. You know, I suppose I'd probably be a little embarrassed. But also for me doing social media for so long, I think it's really cool. My dad's on Twitter and pretty active on there. And sure, he sometimes posts things that I'm like, Dad, that's a little weird. But I know that's just because he's my dad. And for the most part, I think it's amazing that he's on there. My mom uses Facebook and Instagram and 
you know, you see them learning things that come so intuitively to us since we've been in this social media world for so long, but the older generations are still figuring it out. You know, it's a struggle for them. And then I'm sure with your kids, it's extra easy for them. But it's interesting that your kids are not that active on social media or TikTok specifically. Yeah, I don't know why they aren't, but they're just kind of all not that they don't have social media, but they'll take breaks, which is good. I think, you know, it's too much if you're always on it, but they're not on it as much as I'd say the age group is for sure. That's really interesting. Yeah, I was going to say what's interesting to me too is the incidence of at least statistically some of the research I've been looking at around mental health and anxiety disorders and emotional wellness and stress around young people who are using a lot of social media all the time. It's interesting to note that there's a correlation there. There's a corollary in some studies. And I'm curious, Jason Green, it's so funny. You're the only other Jason. Why am I saying your last name? Mr. Jason Green. Do you notice just kind of like observationally that perhaps your kids don't necessarily have those kind of issues because they don't use it as much? I'm curious because we know that there's an effect on the dopamine levels in the brain and the serotonin levels and the overuse of social media. So I'm curious what your observation is, I guess, in terms of the mental health and emotional wellness of your kids in relation to their restricted social media use. Yeah, I think overall, my kids are pretty well behaved and good kids. And I'm sure it does help not focusing on social media. I mean, if anything's going to affect them, it's really just life experiences other than that, you know, like, like divorce and stuff like that. But overall, they're pretty good, you know, as far as their mental health, you know, I do have one kid does struggle with some mental health issues, but not related to anything to social media. But, you know, so they're not too bothered by it, which is good. Yeah, the less they do it, I think the better. And I can see it even from my perspective, you know, TikTok's so amazing as far as the reach. But even that, like, I should be totally happy with how many followers I have. But like, you still have those goals, like, oh, I could get more, you know, and you're like, oh, I shouldn't worry about that. I should just be glad I can reach out to 120,000 people, you know, but then you're like, oh, I could get a million, you know, (laughs) and so it kind of affects you. Yeah, I mean, it definitely becomes a slippery slope. And Jason Robel and I have been down that road a lot and still have to work through that a lot. And, you know, for you, Jason Green, as relatively new to the world of influence and and having this audience. I mean, it came upon you really quickly. And so actually, sometimes I feel protective over you. I'm like, I hope your mental health is doing okay, because this is something that you see with a lot of people. I mean, I imagine like Charlie, who's been massively successful on TikTok, she rose to fame really quickly. She was just some girl dancing in her bedroom. And next thing you know, she's the most popular person on TikTok and one of the most influential people in social media right now. And I imagine that's like a really intense experience to have very quickly. And while you might not be quite at that level of audience size yet, it has been a very rapid growth for you. And so how has that felt and how have you been managing that emotionally? Well, I mean, the good things with this, I can turn it off when I want to, you know, and so it's really just clips and then I can go do my own life. But I mean, I'm not Charlie. I'm not going to get recognized on the streets for sure. <laughs> so it's not too bad. And I mean, I'm an adult, so I guess it makes it easier as far as like Charlie's age. But but yeah, I just, I don't know, it's kind of having that happy balance, you know, and I'm okay with it. You know, it definitely is weird. But at the same time, I'm just trying to help as many people as I can possible. So I'm like, great, if I get more followers, then that's many more people I can help. Because, you know, I see those comments or people message me, you know, and it's it's weird to get someone say like, oh, you changed my life. I'm like, I'm just kind of repeating what I learned. You know, I'm not a psychologist or a therapist, but it's you know, it's having a positive effect. And so that's all I really care. So I don't really worry about like too much about how it affects my mind. You know, I've, 20 years in the military, I've seen 
I've experienced way worse than this stuff. So, you know, it's like, it's okay. It's not that big of a deal as I look at it. Well, that's amazing that you have that perspective. And teenagers certainly is going to be approaching it from a very different place mentally. They're still developing mentally. And so in a way, it's nice that that's happening for you at this stage in your life where it's like you've had enough experience and mental preparation to guide you through these big changes in your life. And to your point, you don't think that you're going to be recognized. I think Jason Robel could beg to differ. I mean, both of us have been recognized off and on throughout our careers, no matter what our audience size has been. One time I was with Jason in like the small town in California and he got recognized like three times in the matter of a couple hours. <laughs> you know, So you never know. Actually, remember Jason Robel when we were out in uh, Santa Monica for 4th of July, we just ran into this guy and he was like, hey, aren't you Jason from YouTube? Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because in this world, you never know who you're going to reach because you have your numbers and you have your audience size. But of course, out of all the followers that you have on there, not every single person's going to comment. So we literally don't know all of the individuals that we're reaching, which is really fascinating to have those kind of, you know, I guess, real time in the world interactions. And it takes me off guard because it's a wonderful thing to have someone I suppose, take time out of their day or muster the courage to physically come up to you and say, hey, aren't you so-and-so? Oh, I love your videos or I love your blog or I love your TV series. So so I wouldn't be surprised, Jason, as you continue to grow and really you know, hunker down in this message and this niche you have with relationships and attachment styles, that random people will just start coming up to you. I feel like bound to happen. And it's just cool because, I don't know, I always feel like getting that feedback is a little bit more fuel you know, to be like, oh, okay, it seems like sometimes when those things happen, it's like when I'm, I don't know about at a low point, but like, oh, I don't really feel like doing this anymore. And then someone comes up to you randomly on the street. You're like, wow, I am actually reaching humans. They're not just numbers on a screen. And to me, that always feels very bolstering. That's so important too, because we can get very caught up in the numbers game. Just like you were saying, Jason Green, it's like, it never feels like enough. And I think part of that is because we attach our success to those metrics but to Jason Robel's point, when you put one person in front of you and you see this actual face, that also becomes more important than any number, just knowing that you are affecting one person's life. And it's been an interesting thing, especially as social media keeps growing and this world of social media influencers is expanding and becoming this legitimate career path for a lot of people. I think it's actually really tough when you're so focused on like how many people you're reaching versus affecting the individuals and having more in-person experiences is a major benefit. And yet right now that's really tough because a lot of us are communicating digitally through this period of quarantine. And then even outside of quarantine, you may never meet certain people because they live in different parts of the world. So it's certainly an interesting experience in a lot of ways. But speaking of people, I saw one of the pieces of feedback <laughs> that was coming through in your TikToks was when you were recommending the previous episode of the podcast that you were on and how a lot of people wanted to like skip to the juicy parts. <laughs> so, you know, I appreciate anybody who's been listening to us talk about all of these different things, but I feel like we should give them some juicy elements of attachment styles if that's what led them here. So I feel like what would be interesting is given that Jason Robel was sharing the difference in his life where he was at 
since February, going from like the single guy talking about attachment styles to the guy in a relationship. It'd be interesting to hear you guys talk about what's changed in both of your lives. So Jason Green, do you have any questions for Jason Robel based on like how much has changed in his life? And maybe you can do like another assessment on him like you did in the last episode. I'll do another diagnosis. Well, we already got the diagnosis. Yeah. yeah, I was actually really excited. I was like, I wonder what's happening in his life, you know, because you don't see it on social media, that part of his life. And so I was, I was curious, like, you know, because avoidance are the hardest to get them to recognize that they have something like that. They know like, oh, I feel this way, but they don't really know, have a name to it, I guess. And that's where I get with my TikTok a lot. It's like, they're like, oh, whoa, I didn't, he finally like kind of woke me up. So yeah, I'm definitely interested in like how it's changed him, you know, over time. And like I said, it's a gradual process. It's not an overnight thing. So I guess Jason, fill us in. <laughs> yeah, I feel like for me, it's been not just the awareness and the acknowledgement of my avoidant tendencies, which I still I want to learn more about and I want to get more information about how that shows up. But based on our last conversation, Jason, where you went into some pretty specific detail about how that tendency manifests in relationship. I've just been mindful of noticing the balance, first of all, between my desire for alone time, and I've mentioned this on a previous episode also, my desire for time to create and focus on my projects and focus on the podcast, focus on my music, focus on you know the creative projects I have in the world. And I think a lot of times in the past, I notice that I've used those not as excuses, but as reasons to potentially keep someone at arm's length. Right, It's like, I'm going to let you in, but I'm only going to let you so far in because I don't want you monopolizing my time and monopolizing my creative space. But one thing I've been practicing in this new relationship is a higher, more clear and refined level of communication, I suppose, where there's togetherness and there's the relishing of the togetherness and being as present as possible when I'm in her presence. But then also being really honest with her about like, hey, I think tonight it would be good if I stayed home and focused on reading or my music or my journaling or whatever it is. So I suppose I'm, for lack of a better word, relaxing my avoidant behaviors a little bit. And I don't know what Laura's attachment style is because we haven't discussed it, although it probably should be up for discussion. I would have to say she's probably got more anxious tendencies from what I understand. So I'm mindful of the interactivity between my avoidant baseline and what I perceive as her anxious baseline and trying to strike a balance between those two where I'm trying not to be so keep the people I care about at arm's length, but also realize that that her attachment style is different than mine. Absolutely. So that's just been interesting to put it into practice in real time. And on one point, Jason, the point you brought up about titles or calling it a certain thing, like I'm very comfortable calling her my girlfriend and saying that we're in a relationship. That actually has not been uncomfortable to me. The biggest challenge I still have is, again, being clear and accurate in my communication when I want to communicate that I need my alone time and my creative time and making sure that she understands that it's not a rejection of her. It's a desire that I need space to create in this kind of bubble. And that's how I create best. As I, I think I talked the last one is avoidant and anxious usually attract each other a lot. So there's a good chance she has some anxious in her. If she, even she's secure with maybe a little bit of anxious, but for people out there, they call this an anxious avoidant trap. And if you have somebody who's avoidant and is not open like Jason, what's going to happen is that anxious person is going to become more anxious and then that avoidant person has become more avoidant. And so you have this kind of yo-yo effect. And so, and then, then they break up and then they get back together. So it's good that you're at least 
letting her know because no matter what, she's got to also kind of adapt to you. You know, you adapt to each other. It's, you know, mutual thing. But being open, of course, she still probably could have those thoughts like, oh, why doesn't he want to hang out with me? But at least you're up front and kind of, I think if you both learn your attachment styles, it helps that person understand like, oh, he really is just want to be creative. He doesn't want to find a new girlfriend, you know? And so, you know, with an anxious person, once that anxious is turned on, it's really hard to turn off. And so that's good that you're open with her on that. And it seems like there are spectrums for all of these different attachment styles because I remember Jason Robel sharing with me how certain women he's been with have been very anxious. I mean, one woman in particular that just was anxious about the future and anxious about how much time he was spending with her. And, and then noticing the difference of this current relationship that Jason Robel is in, maybe she is on the anxious spectrum, especially because of the patterns and the tendency that anxious and avoidance tend to have in relationship with each other. But Jason Robel, I, it seems like Maybe it's not a matter of finding someone who isn't anxious, but maybe it's like someone who's less anxious than others. Would you say that's right? It's interesting you bring that up because I think for me, it goes back to how that manifests, right? Is how, first of all, do I observe my avoidant tendencies manifesting in what contexts and in what aspects of the relationship? For me, are there intimacy triggers that come up consistently? And I think for me, if I'm honest about it, you know, an intimacy trigger for lack of a better term, I just kind of made that up for me is if something I perceive is going too fast, too quickly. And that's not necessarily just limited to romantic contexts of relationship. I feel like if things are going too quickly, sometimes in my career, or things are going too quickly with a creative project, or there's an energy of someone involved in the relationship, be it creative or business or intimate romantic, that's like, okay, yeah, yeah, come on, let's do this. Let, let's blah, blah, whatever it is, you know, whether I want to get married really quickly, or let's invest in this thing. Let's go to a VC round funding. And it's like, there's a part of me that gets really anxious when someone wants to crank the intimacy meter too quickly, right? So that's something that I usually put my hands on. I'm like, no, 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 no. So for me, it's noticing that in my avoidant tendencies, that's when it really gets triggered. But in terms of your question, Whitney, about being more or less anxious, I think it depends on the source of the anxieties and what the root is, you know, because one of the things that I've interacted with women that I've been with, dated or had relationships with, who really, really, really wanted to have kids like right now, getting to the heart of it with some of them was not necessarily about the baby coming out at this moment. It was what that represented, you know, fulfilling what I perceive as my purpose as a woman on the planet that's tied to motherhood or the conversation of the biological clock ticking. And, and if we don't do it now, it's never going to happen. So to me, I guess... However, the avoidant anxious tendencies manifest, I always want to get to try and get to the psychological root of what's motivating those behaviors, if that makes sense. Another thing with uh, the last time we talked, it was the, if you remember the talking about the strange situation test with the babies. Yes, of course. And the one that I laughed at, because I recall the one baby who was like, mom came back in and he was like, yeah, I don't need you. I was like, ding, ding, ding. I remember that part of it. That was like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> yeah. And I thought about that as you were talking. Because one thing I'll add to that is with avoidance, they have this kind of tough exterior, and but really they don't. It's just that that's kind of like their it's just self-defense mechanism, basically. And so with that, for people who heard the last one, the last episode, the avoidant baby doesn't care that mom left and came back. They're like, whatever. I think you said, like, I'm going to make my own ham sandwich or something like that. But you might have done your own thing, but what they do with the avoidant, they still want that affection, but they've been taught at a young age to they're not going to get it from that person. Or they're going to be punished in some way. And so 
you might have your back to that person as a baby, but you actually will move towards mom. You'll kind of know what comfort level you can get without making mom upset or whatever, or whoever that parent is. And so the avoidant does want that love and affection, but they just don't know how to get that without upsetting that, you know, the parent and which then becomes the romantic relationship. So I thought that was really interesting. I learned actually after it's like, no, they still want the stuff. It's just, it's a learned behavior, unfortunately. And, you know, our parents are helped develop our brain those first couple of years. So I have just kind of an overarching question, Jason, that I'm curious how you feel about this too. And, and Whitney, of course, feel free to, to lend your perspective. I really enjoy a lot of aspects of traditional Zen Buddhism. And one of the core teachings of the Buddha and that religion is this idea that attachment brings suffering. It's one of the core things of Buddhist principles. And I'm just curious if you perceive attachment as a healthy thing in general, just the idea of being attached, no matter what the style is, if having a level of attachment is a healthy thing in the context of a relationship, and how you feel that contrasts with sort of the foundational Buddhist Zen idea of if you get attached to a person or a thing or an outcome or an expectation, any attachments inevitably bring some sort of suffering. And I'm curious what your philosophy is on that. I think we all need attachment of some sort, of course, you know, whether it just be romantic or family. So I think it's important, but unfortunately, with that comes risk, you know, we're going to get, someone's going to disappoint us, someone's going to break our heart. But I feel like if you get the right attachment, it's going to outweigh all those, all those things that happened before that. So, but I do agree with as far as like having a lot of attachment. I know like me kind of off subject, but like I'm at a point where I'm like kind of becoming a minimalist. Like I don't need all these things. I don't need to work just so I can have a fancy car you know, big car payment or whatever. It's like, you know, it just makes life easier. I feel like the less you have, but it's really about getting those key, you know, a few key attachments. I don't need to have a hundred friends, a handful of quality friends and someday find that right person. I feel like it'll all be worth it in the long run. But unfortunately, there's a lot of pain that goes through in between that. And for someone who I suppose is a little bit reticent to get back into a new relationship, I know this is something that I've experienced where I sometimes get too fixated on perhaps past disappointments or past pain or past heartbreak. And I don't want to bring that into the new relationship. I think probably baggage is what they call it to a lesser degree, emotional baggage. But I find myself at times, depending on the levels of intimacy I go to with a person of, like I said, kind of those intimacy triggers of Maybe something will happen or something I've done or something she'll say or I'll say or some aspect of the situation where I get triggered because, oh, that reminds me of something that happened with my last relationship that ended, pain that we experienced there or the heartbreak there. And I'm curious if you have any tips or tools for someone who perhaps is entering a new relationship or getting into a new relationship and experiences triggers that maybe don't have anything to do with the actual present situation but that are triggering past wounds and maybe making that person scared to move forward? Like, how do you recommend handling that in the moment? Well, I would say first is what I recommend a lot on TikTok for people. But first, therapy is always, I think, the most important thing, whether you need it for maintenance or you need it every week. Because I feel like with especially like an avoidant and anxious too, but they're both insecure. There's always some type of thing that may be repressed, you know, and so it's always good to kind of get at the source, you know. So I feel like if you at least have that foundation, yeah, unfortunately, you know, you can't go back to the 20 relationships you had before. It's hard to not think about that. I know for myself, I've had fewer relationships, but that's because of my attachment style. I take time in between, you know, and so, but I, even with me, it's a struggle to not have that 
think about how that person was before or whatever and compare. So I feel like therapy is the best option, honestly, but, and that's just to get the the core of why you are the way you are, you know, how all of us are. But, and I feel like from that point, it just helps a lot more for the next step or like, I know like for me learning all this stuff, I can now little things I'm doing to make myself better for the next person, you know? And so I feel like it's just a slow process, but the more you know about this stuff, the better you'll be and the better you'll, I feel like you just communicate better. So communication is the biggest key to me. Since you've been doing all of this reading, Jason, especially since we last spoke with you on the podcast, you've educated yourself a lot over a short period of time. What other aha moments have you had about relationships? And I know part of your story was reflecting back on I know at least one hard relationship that you discussed with us. And I don't know if you're currently dating anybody or if you want to share any of that, but but I'm just curious, like, how are you applying this to your life besides like what you're doing internally? Have you been learning some new tactics? And also, can those help you with your family dynamic as well? Like, is it changing the way you relate to your kids or to your kid's mother? Like, how is that shifting for you right now in your life? Well, since my kids are older, I've already screwed them up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, I do notice with my kids, the relationships, only my oldest daughter is in a relationship currently. And so I've noticed that she's similar to me, you know, in some aspects. And so I definitely try to, I mean, I only have one kid at the house now, but I definitely try to make sure I understand him more, you know, hang around him more. I mean, he's a kid, he's gonna play Xbox for eight hours a day. But in between those times, just kind of understanding him more. He's not a... Uh, you know, just being there for him, really, and not pushing him out the door, even though he's the last kid. You know, as far as the, yeah, the dating world, so since I'm secure is my strongest attachment, I kind of take time more in between. And so that breakup that led me to all this, you know, I took a long time off and really just kind of worked on myself. And then I got into this pretty deep. And so I was kind of like, I'm just going to focus on this for now. And I kind of was like, you know, if someone approaches me, then I will talk to him. It's kind of that philosophy I had at that moment. I was just like, I'm just going to take a break. And then I joined hot yoga and there's not a lot of guys there. So, <laughs> so. Yeah. I forgot we had that in common, hot yoga. <laughs> yeah. And I just did it because military injuries, it's the best thing for me, you know, but I found myself, I had two people approach me and it didn't work out, whatever. But as funny, cause I was now I was using it just to small talk with them. I'm like figuring them out, you know, and I'm like, I'm talking to one oh. and I'm like, okay, she's avoidant or disorganized. You know, we don't really talk about that much, but so I was like, okay, you know, I was like, I don't know about this. I'm single now, but so yeah, it didn't work out, but I was like, I kind of had a period like that. And then right before COVID, I was like, you know what? It's time to get back into the dating world. And then COVID happened and I was like, okay, maybe not. But, uh, <laughs> so, but I am talking to one thing with my anxious side of me for anyone who's anxious, like you kind of get focused on that one person, you know, and it's really quickly, like, it takes me a while to get to that one person, but once I'm couple dates in, I'm like, this is my person. I'm going to focus on this person only. And now I'm kind of like, you know what? It's okay to date multiple people in the beginning and kind of figure out what you like or don't like. And then, you know, at some point you're like, okay, I just want to focus on this one person. So that's kind of where I'm at. I am talking to more than one person right now, but thanks to TikTok. (laughs) So (laughs) that's the weird part. I think that's the weirdest part of this whole TikTok thing. My direct messages aren't working right now because I had two accounts and there's like some weird, I mean, TikTok jail for 30 days for direct messaging. But so I don't even know what I would get from that. But sometimes I get comments and, you know, or they message me. So I have talked to people 
from TikTok. Wow. <laughs> I wonder how many people end up dating people from TikTok. I mean, certainly Jason Robel has met a lot of women through Instagram. So I imagine it's got to be very similar on TikTok in a lot of ways, especially if people are seeing your face and your account, especially Jason Green, is so vulnerable. And it's probably very attractive to a lot of women like, wow, this guy's working on himself and he knows a lot about relationships. Like, this is great. Yeah, that's the challenge. That's funny. I was going to, I thought about that when I was on here. I was like, I should have asked Jason about this. But yeah, that's the kind of thing. It's interesting. I wasn't expecting, I guess. I mean, it's great. It's great when you get attention, you know, someone thinks you're attractive, but, but also it's a little weird too, because it's all ages. (laughs) So, so one of my most recent videos I do is on daddy issues. (laughs) Which Jason Rowell can talk about. Oh yeah. And I did that because a couple of people, I did a thing about my viral video was basically 15 seconds and it says your relationship with your parents slash caretakers directly affects your your relationships, your romantic relationships, you know, and then I got a couple of comments, you know, about me as one person called me daddy. So it's like, you know, it's, it's interesting. And I'm like, I don't know how to respond to that, but it's flattering. But at the same time, you know, I was like, I'm just trying to help people out, but whatever, if I find a girlfriend through this then great, you know, so. Well, Jason Robel gets called daddy pretty often, so he can certainly talk to you about this. <laughs> I find it so amusing. Yep. <laughs> My kids love it. My oldest two, I have like a group text with just my oldest two. And I'd be like, as I look at it, I got called daddy today, you know, or I was like, I don't know how to react. And they just thought, they think it's hilarious, you know? So I used to have this rule. Well, my daughter had this rule, like, dad, they have to be closer to your age than my age. You know, she's 24, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know? And so I was like, now I'm kind of like, I had this such strict rules and I'm like, you know what? They're an adult. I don't care. You know, it's like, if we vibe, we vibe. But there's still part of me like, okay, I should get somebody closer to my age. But, you know, I go back and forth. But whatever, I'm single and I don't really care right now. I'm just, I, the more people I can spread the message, the better, you know? And so, Jason Robel, I'd be curious to hear your input on being called daddy as well as dating younger women, because you also get hit up by a lot of young girls on there and it seems like a conundrum sometimes. So, what are you feeling right now? Well, it's interesting because it's a recent phenomenon in the sense that I think once I hit, maybe 39, like right before my 40s, um, 42 at the time of this recording, the past, I'd say, what, three to four years, yeah, it's been like all of a sudden out of the blue, you know, daddy this, zaddy that, and it's like, okay, previous to 39, I never really got those comments at all, and it's really interesting. I just want to go on a, a slight tangent for a second, because I'm in some ways, a little bit too critical or self-defeating about like my gray hair coming in and the signs of aging and like the laugh lines around my eyes. And like, I mean, aging is an inevitable thing. I like to take really good care of myself, but it's been a bit weird the past four years of like, wow, hello, gray hair. Like, welcome to your forties, dude. And it feels like all of a sudden, you know, like, boom, gray hair, boom, wrinkles, whatever. I'm making it more of a big deal than it is, to be honest about it, but it's more of one of those things where we talked about this on one of our earliest episodes here on the podcast about mortality. And it's like, oh, you're getting gray hair. And when you get injured, it takes longer to recover from a sports injury. You know, whatever the case may be, I'm noticing that my body's changing. But my own self deprecating thoughts are completely opposite of the younger women that I've dated or including the one I'm with now who there's a 15 year age gap and 
She's like, I love your gray hair. I want more of it. I love your laugh lines. You know, I love your hair, you know, even though my hairline's receding a little bit, like the way that she perceives me and some of the other women that I've dated that have been younger than me, it's like they celebrate those things. They love the grays. They love, you know, the laugh lines. They love the signs of aging. And I'm like, you do? They're like, yeah. And it's almost like a part of me doesn't believe it. Right. So that's been an interesting contrast. But for me, it's just been a fascinating social experiment to the last three to four years. Like I said, be like, oh, all these women, daddy and zaddy. And oh my God, you know, I don't know. I could go way, way deeper into the sexual dynamics of that too. <laughs> I could. Because I've noticed observationally of my own experiments that women with daddy issues who bring those daddy issues into the bedroom, it can get very exciting. I'm like, okay. Oh my God. No, it's, it's true. It's like, I recognize that you have some trauma and you have some things actually that probably would be good in therapy, yet they're also good for some sexual things too. So it's like, oh, go work on it. Please work on it. Heal it. But don't lose the ferocity. Don't lose the panther-like passion of the daddy shit in the bedroom. That was a long rant. Maybe TMI, maybe not. <laughs> I mean, I love hearing that. And it's funny too, because as Jason's friend, but also a former girlfriend of his, when Jason Robel gets insecure about things like gray hair and wrinkles, I don't even notice them on you, Jason. And it's so interesting. I wonder how often men think this about women because women are very vocal about their insecurities on their bodies, men not so much. And it's just so fascinating how different genders react to their age and, and all of this, but men just aren't quite as outspoken about it. And I guess like there is this almost societal feeling that like men are really sexy when they're getting older, even though you might feel insecure about it. I feel like they're still like, oh, men are aging like a fine wine, you know, whereas there's a lot more seemingly pressure on women as to kind of hide their age a lot over time. But maybe it's actually a lot harder for men than other people realize. Being in quarantine, I didn't do a lot of exercising. So I gained 15 pounds and it was none of it was muscle. You know, I was feeling overweight for my for what I'm used to. But then when I started getting that some of that attention from some younger women, they're like, oh, okay, you know, I guess it's not as important as I'm making out to be, you know. So we don't really talk about it, I think, as guys, as far as like we worry about stuff like that. But we still want someone to be attracted to, you know, us, you know. So yeah, it does feel good. It does feel a little weird when they're younger, but it does feel good overall. <laughs> well, it's just like dating in general. There's the side of dating where you can go on an app and set all your filters for the type of person you want to be with. And you might filter out some really amazing people if you're concerned with age and you're concerned with height and you're concerned with location and appearance and all of these other factors. And we've talked about this before in previous episodes. And for anyone who's new to listening to the podcast, welcome, A and B. You can go to our website, wellevator.com, which is spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And there are show notes for every single episode. So for this one, you can go find Jason Green's episode. You can just search for it, or it should be around the time that we posted this. And you can find links to anything we've referenced and you can listen to Jason's previous episode and the other episodes that we're referencing here. And we've certainly talked a lot about relationships and how there's this tendency to want to find the perfect person, this ideal person. Actually, in a very recent episode, Jason Robel and I talked about what it means to be in an ideal relationship. And a lot of times we're creating this fantasy person. And we have it in our mind of what would be the right match for us. 
But I think what you guys are talking about here, especially when it comes to age, is that doesn't really matter that much how old somebody is. There's often a maturity associated with age, but there's never like a defining time in somebody's life where they shift. And I think another thing that you're bringing up here, Jason Green, is that you're changing a lot in just a few months by diving into this research. So your maturity could be growing really quickly in a short span of time. And I think that's actually one of the wonderful things that you're bringing to people through your TikTok account is you're helping people who are younger learn something that they might not have come across until they were much older. And so that's one of the huge benefits of of having people that are older than you as a resource is they're sharing that information that you might not even be be or feel interested in until you get older. Maybe it sounds boring to read a bunch of these books, but you're translating it into a medium that appeals to younger people, teaching them these things so they can become more emotionally mature and prepared for relationships. And thus, in a way, you're even making it less of an issue about how old somebody is. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm hoping because I do have a younger audience, they'll have less, you know, we're going to go through bad things no matter what, but hopefully it's minimal for them. They don't go 20 years and then like, oh, what happened? You know, maybe they only go five or six years and then figure it out. But so, yeah, I'm glad I at least can reach them with this younger audience. It is getting older, you know, but ruining for the kids by getting on TikTok. But yeah, hopefully I can at least get them. I at least can wake them up, I guess, to what it is. And it's usually anxious and avoidant people that are responding, of course. But yeah, I like, for one, just getting the avoidant person to at least recognize it. And so therefore they can, you know, that's their journey, however they work on it. Or someone who's like an anxious dating and avoidant, they're like, that's my boyfriend right there, you know? And then of course, the next question is like, how do I fix that? You know? And so I'm glad I can at least put that in their head. And I've had some people actually like, I'm going to therapy because you, <laughs> for the good reason, you know, but, uh, and so it's like nice, like, okay, I'm helping somebody's mental health and they can figure it out quicker. Cause I, yeah, I'd hate to see, you know, you just hate to see someone go for a long period and not realize what's going on. The quicker you can get them to acknowledge what it is, at least the name and kind of go from there. So the better, you know, so life's short, you got to make the most of it. I'm curious which books you've been reading. Cause when we were talking on the last episode, we had both read the book Attached. And now you said that you're reading four books right now. So can you share some of the books that you've read recently, which that you've really enjoyed? And, and as I mentioned, we will link to all of these books in the show notes at wellevator.com. So there'll be a resource section. If you're listening to this, you can go to the website and find a list of all of these books. And again, the domain is w, 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 I almost spelled it all out. It's wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. Click on the podcast section and then search for Jason Green and you'll find both of his episodes with all the resources. So what are some of the books, Jason, that you've been reading lately and, and what have you found really helpful? So like you mentioned, Attached, that one I reread constantly. That's the best first book, I think. It's a real easy read and there's actually a, attachment test in there so you can figure it out. You can also find it online too, but that's the best one I feel like. And then I have, if you discover either you're with an avoidant or you are an avoidant, there's one called, it's by Jeb Kinison, K-I-N-N-I-S-O-N. It's called Avoidant, How to Love or Leave a Dismissive Partner. They do talk a little bit about everything else, but it's really focused on you're with an avoidant. Is it worth it or not, basically, you know, or what you need to do. I got another one, Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. I just got that one. I really can't say much about it. It just seemed like it could somehow fit into that. And then the one I just got the other day, it's attachment and psychotherapy. I think it's more therapist related. So it's a little challenging for sure. I just started it, but I would recommend attached and then 
the avoidant by Jeb Kinison. Those are two good ones to at least start you in that. And then you can find stuff online, of course, too, but, and then my future podcast. <laughs> yes. I can't wait for your podcast to come out, your new one. And in terms of tests too, you've linked to, I think like three different tests on your TikTok account. Tell us more about these tests and why did you recommend these specific tests? What can you do with the results when you take a test to find out if you're anxious, avoidant, or secure? So on my TikTok, I have three different attachment tests. They're all good. I start with Dr. Fraley. That's the best one. But I know you saw me post, but we actually crashed their website because I had so many people go over there. But that's the best one. But it's good to at least show your foundation of what you are. And then with that one, you can actually do it later. So like Jason could do it now or before the relationship and then in the relationship. And you can kind of see how you would move basically. And it, it talks about your, you answer questions about your mom, your dad, and you have a general person or your general overall stuff. You can see how it moves. I've done it three times, but I was single all three times. But so you can kind of see how you are in a relationship. And so that's a good foundation, at least have that knowledge of what you are to get you started. There are two other ones in there. One shows the spectrum as you know, I've said before is like, I'm secure, but that's not a 100% secure. I've got anxious and avoidant too. It's just, I have less of that than the others. And so my first link in there actually has the attachment test like that actually show you percentage. And so it's just a good first foundation. And then you can work on it with somebody or yourself. Cause I feel like I know from my personal experience, just knowing my attachment style, you know, what I'm strongest in and then the anxious part. Now that I know all three mainly, it, it helps me identify things, helps me make sure I don't do things that are negative to a relationship. I have a question about the ability for a person to perhaps switch attachment styles or adapt to a partner's attachment style once they're in a relationship. What kind of research or, or studies or information, Jason, have you seen on a person's level of adaptability or malleability in terms of their foundational attachment style? So one study showed that 70%, whatever you are diagnosed as a baby for these studies, 70% of them were still that attachment style. There was another study where they did a four-year period, and I think it was like 40% had changed over that time frame. So you can change your attachment style. It does happen naturally. Things happen in life or whatever, or you know, you get more mature and older. So you can change it for sure. It does take work, of course, but it also can change for the worse. Maybe you, all of a sudden, you, maybe you had great parents and great relationships. Then for some reason you get into an abusive relationship, you're probably going to be more anxious for a period of time until you get into a relationship where it's a more secure person. So that's one of the questions I get a lot is like, can I change it? Yeah, you can change it. But like anything, it takes work on your own. It may require therapy, especially if it's more deeper, like the disorganized attachment, you know, whether it's sexual abuse or physical abuse and stuff like that. But yeah, it can change. It just takes work. It's interesting to me because on the last episode with you, you talked a lot about the aspects and the attributes of a secure style. And reflecting on that, I don't know that I came away from that conversation with you, Jay, the last one of, of like, I want to strive to be a more secure person in my relationship and my attachment style. But I ask, obviously, the question about malleability and adaptability, because other than you know going to see a therapist, this might be too broad of a question. Have you read up or formulated yourself or practiced any, I don't know, exercises or ways of being in a context of a relationship to like try and shift those things in real time? Maybe that's not the best way of asking this question. It's sort of like, yeah, in any of these books or the experts or in your training, 
have you come across like, okay, when you observe your avoidant tendency flare up in this way, or you observe your anxious attachment flare up in this way, try this exercise to feel more secure. Have you come across anything like that? Yeah, I've seen a lot, especially for anxious. And it really goes with the general anxious thing, like mindfulness training, transcendental meditation, just simple breathing exercises, because it's really about minimizing before you get triggered. And once you get triggered, it's hard to turn it off. So those pretty much fit in with that. And then for an avoidant, if you're with somebody, it's really about both of you working together and talking out like what are your traits, you know, that are maybe not positive. And so with an avoidant, one reason therapy is good is because there's um, repressed emotions usually in there. And then it just takes a little bit of time. But the avoidance, is, it's just a little more challenging, I guess I would say. But the anxious, it's really about the mindfulness training, any type of thing that's going to bring you down, whether it be meditation, there's, it kind of fits with normal therapy. So beyond, I guess, you know, therapy, have you gone into any kind of somatic aspects of this? In terms of the therapy that I've done in the past, there was an aspect of the idea of trauma or past pain being stored physically in the body not just necessarily lighting up a specific center of our brain, but actually being stored in joints and organs and muscles. And as I've gone into studying some of that through my own therapy and trauma healing, I'm curious if you dove into any kind of somatic body work or somatic experiencing where, say, a therapist will identify as a child or a young person that a trauma you've experienced you've stored in your stomach or your throat or your liver. And I'm curious if you've gone into any of the physiological aspects of trauma and how those affect attachment styles. I've seen a little bit about somatic. I don't really have a lot of knowledge on that yet. But I will say from what I've read, it's, it definitely affects more than just your mind. You know, it does affect your body. I know from my experience with an avoidant, it just seems like you just all of a sudden you're like, wow, things are happening that never happened before, you know, and it could be just because you're getting a higher stress level. And of course, if you're higher stress level, you're just going to, it's going to affect you in many which ways, you know, whether it be just nausea or whatever like that. But yeah, that's about all I've really seen so far about somatic. At what point in the courting process, <laughs> I sound so medieval in the courting process of a lady. Do you get into this conversation? You know, is it like a first date thing where you're like, so I'm pegging you as an anxious, am I right? Like, at what point do you, and it may not be a rule, I'm not saying it's a rule for you, but at what point do you find yourself when you are, say, these two people you're having a conversation with on TikTok? Do you dive into that aspect of the interpersonal relationship? Do you go at it right away? Do you wait a few dates? Like, when do you open this conversation for investigation? Well, the unique part with since I'm doing it, and if they ask what I'm doing, it usually kind of comes out naturally. They end up telling me. <laughs> so that's kind of, I guess, a bonus. But I think for the average person, you know, you're not going to figure it out in a date or two, probably. You know, I get asked that a lot. Like, how can you figure out if they're anxious and they don't want to be an avoidant? How do you avoid the avoidant? You know, that's where it comes into learning all the attachment styles. So you can kind of see those things. And maybe I know, like, for one example is, yeah, you can kind of see how their parents are, you know, so an avoidant will tend to not talk about their parents a lot. So you'd be like, hey, how was your childhood? Great. You know, how was your parents? Good. They worked a lot. You know, and they kind of like get away from the subject really quick. Where an anxious would most likely be like, well, my dad worked a lot. You know, he, I love him, but, you know, he was a little distant. They'll kind of get into it. And so that's kind of one way to see, okay, are they secure or insecure? But like anything, we all kind of put up our best face for the beginning of the dating world. And then, you know, over time, you kind of see your little things. And so it's like, that's the challenge is trying to find those things quicker. I've learned I've, I can find it pretty quick now, but it does take time. But it's really knowing all the styles and know little things that 
don't trigger. Also how it makes you feel too. If you're all of a sudden becoming more anxious, well, maybe you're with an avoidant, which is funny too, because I was just listening yesterday to your podcast on toxic masculinity. And I did a video the other day about alpha males. And then I saw that video. So like, oh, perfect. But alpha males, a lot of dismissive avoidance are alpha males. And of course, you know, a lot of women are attracted to an alpha male because they give off that normal alpha male vibe, you know. But because a lot of them are dismissive avoidant, they're usually not a good pick for long term. It's fun, probably in certain ways for a year or two, but a lot of dismissive avoidance may not protect you or be there for the long haul. But where like a secure person is there for the long haul, but they don't seem as exciting to you. They don't trigger your brain, which you're used to. So secures come off cross as sort of boring, which is unfortunate, you know, but that's the person who's probably going to be with you for years down the road. The alpha male stuff is so interesting that you bring up. And first of all, thanks for diving into that episode on toxic masculinity. I think one of the challenges that I have faced and has been really confusing at points for me, Jason, I'm curious how you feel about this, is the mixed messages about, quote, what women want, right? And I've realized that that asking this question, what women want, is a rabbit hole that has no end because I think a better quality question, it's not the ultimate question, but about is what does the woman in front of me want? If I care about my partner's desires and her needs and her wants, instead of what do women want, you know, what does this woman want? But one thing that I've struggled with over the years is this mixed messaging, not just from talking to girlfriends and friends that are girls and reading books, is this idea of the alpha male role of, you know, take control and be assertive and speak up and, you know, leverage your energy and dominate the room. And that's what women want. And it's kind of like this slightly evolved Neanderthal type of behavior where you go in, you know what you want, you're clear about what you want, and you take what you want. And women are like, I love that. I want a man who's divisive and takes action and who's aggressive when he needs to be. But then the other messages of like, but I want a man who can cry and show his emotions and doesn't need to assume that role all the time. And I think I've gotten to the point where I'm like, I acknowledge that I'm a really sensitive man and some people are taken aback by my level of sensitivity and I'm okay with being this sensitive. I'm okay with being this emotional. The girl that I'm dating now, Lori, and she was laughing because she's like, yeah, I think on the third date, like you cried. And I was like, yeah, because that's just how I wanted to show emotion. So I think it's cool that you brought up this archetype of the alpha male. And in some ways, I can see the value of assertiveness and clarity and decisiveness and going after what you want. But I think that, if I may, a lot of the societal issues we're facing systemically are from sort of this dominate, destroy, conquer mentality that is often associated with alpha masculinity that I don't quite feel is, in its expression that we've known for so many years, really healthy for society or healthy for the planet. And I'm curious you know, what your feelings are on that on a macro level. Well, it kind of made me laugh because I was thinking back to when I got divorced and I was married 15 years and I didn't know how to talk to women after that point. You know, I hadn't talked to another woman in 15 years. And I have a friend who's very alpha male, you know, and they just kind of come to him. So it's like I would go hang out with him and he was almost like coaching me. I didn't want to be coached, but he was trying to coach me, you know. And I learned like the more I didn't care or acted kind of like a dick, it's like it attracted women, you know, and I'm like, you know, I didn't like it. <laughs> you know, it's like and it, I had success with that. F- a few times. And I was like, I don't like that. That's not me. You know, it feels weird. But it's weird because like, it attracted them. But it's like, that's not the type of person to be a long term person either, you know. And so, you know, I'm kind of like, you like, I'm more sensitive. I have, it's hard to kind of get that mix because yeah, you know, everybody wants the whole package and it goes male and female, I feel like. But and I'm not an alpha male, but at the same time, I did 20 years in the military. So like, I know how to protect you like an alpha male and stuff like that. But at the same time, yeah, I'm going to be emotional around you too, if you know, it needs be. And 
and also with these attachment styles i know like when i was with an avoidant all of a sudden i'm like why am i crying i don't usually cry you know like my kids never see me cry all of a sudden like i just become this person who cries once in a while <laughs> you know and it's, it's just uh, interesting how that works but yeah it is challenging because i know like with that one it's like you know they still want you to be the man but also be sensitive but i know with like an avoidant it's like i they want you to be the man but at the same time they're kind of telling you what to do and then you become you know you just kind of do what you kind of accommodate that's one thing i learned with therapy is like i accommodated a lot so it's like it's kind of yeah it's no there's no happy medium i feel like it's challenging and i'm sure it's challenging for women too because you know we have all these things that we want from them also but yeah i feel like the whole alpha male thing is interesting and i don't know it's challenging for sure to try to be everything because no one can be everything to everyone it's so interesting listening to you talk about this because obviously women have their own elements of trying to like figure out like how can I be in order to attract the person that I want and also how can I find the right person that's going to fit for me. And I think that one thing I've been reflecting a lot on recently is just not trying to be so controlling about these things. You know, it's almost as if it's a bit in our ego and our desire to control and, and force things to turn out the way that we want them to. And a lot of our feelings and relationships are based around security and getting our needs met. And sometimes we end up in this place of putting too much pressure on our partners and then not being accepting of them. That's another thing is I do a lot of reading and research around emotional well-being beyond this podcast. And one thing I've been working on a lot is surrender, which involves a lot of just accepting what is. And this is a very like Buddhist and spiritual perspective on things, but it's a thread through in a lot of the advice that I've come across about happiness and peace and just finding joy and feeling joy and all of that. And I think a lot of times we're conditioned to try to manipulate ourselves and other people. And that's why it's like, oh, if I can just find the perfect partner, I'm going to be in this great relationship. But anybody who has found somebody wonderful knows that even if they check off a ton of boxes or maybe even all the boxes, that doesn't mean you're going to have a perfect relationship. It takes two people to be in a relationship. So you also have to work on yourself. But know that you're both changing all the time and things around you are changing. And so it, that surrender to me has become more important and the acceptance, trying not to change myself all the time and trying not to change somebody else all the time, but just allowing that change to happen has helped me feel more at ease in my relationship, not just romantic partners, but friends and family members. Because I think I spent so much of my life trying to change either, like I said, either trying to change myself like maybe if I do this, this person will accept me or they will behave differently around me. Or maybe if in this way, this person will love me. And then also in some of my dynamics, trying to change other people. And I notice that more and more and catch myself sometimes in these controlling ways. And most people don't respond well to that. That doesn't make them feel good, especially <laughs> in my relationships. I've certainly noticed that of like trying to project what I want onto somebody else all the time instead of just like, noticing them for who they are and being grateful for it and noticing my reactions too. Because a lot of the times the way that we're reacting to things is all about us and not very much about that person. And I think that if we do more of that internal work and relax into our relationships, 
as we're learning about them, I'm not saying not to learn and not to grow as people, but just to like be less concerned about how we're all showing up and just be more present and notice the joy and find the gratitude in each other. I love that you said that wit for several reasons. Number one, I think that to try and get our needs met and to try and feel safe and secure. I certainly, not in every relationship, but in some, especially when I was younger, I remember in high school and early college, sort of having this chameleonic approach to whoever I was with, like morphing and molding and adapting my behavior to please them, even if it meant I was going against my natural instinct or my natural personality traits, right? Because there was this idea of, I don't want to lose this person. I need their love. And that was really born out of my own abandonment issues, right? Is my abandonment issues manifesting in this chameleonic behavior of, on some level, trying to manipulate them by being something I wasn't. I think that's probably really common in relationships, depending on, again, a person's trauma or abandonment issues or whatever the case may be. And I suppose I observe that I've sort of evolved to a point where, like you said, Wit, I acknowledge that I'm a growing, evolving person. I want to keep learning. I want to keep changing. I want to keep absorbing new perspectives and idea and information. So who I am right now is not who I'm going to be three, five, seven, ten years from now just because of the natural curiosity and desire for growth and change. But I think that there's also, to go back to what Jason brought up about this alpha male stuff, I mean, I remember like years back, this is so funny, I remember you know feeling really kind of scrawny and skinny and somebody I was dating at the time was like, wow, Ryan Gosling's so hot and like, look at his body and look how muscular he is. I'm like, okay. So I started taking all this testosterone booster and I started going to the gym all the time. And I started getting like really aggressive sexually in the relationship. And I was like, this isn't me. Like, I'm taking all this like testosterone stuff and working out really hard and like being like, I don't know, extra dominant in the bedroom. And I realized that I was defaulting to that old behavior of like, I'm trying to adapt to something that I think she wants that isn't really me. And it's dangerous because I found that I was losing so much of the core of who I was in the process trying to be something I wasn't. I'm glad I did it so I could experience those things, but I'm at the point now where I'm like, this is who I am, or at least who I think I am, and I'm either your flavor of ice cream or I'm not. You know, it's like, okay, I'm mint chocolate chip. If you want Rocky Road or like triple raspberry fudge, like go find that elsewhere. You know, I'm mint chocolate chip, and I might have different toppings from time to time and different sauces on top, but at the core, I know I am motherfucking mint chocolate chip. And it's interesting too. I'm curious about Jason's perspective on this. It's like, I think it's really valuable to learn new things about ourselves, to uncover things and to understand ourselves better. And personal development is obviously a big passion of mine and Jason Robel's. And it sounds like Jason Green as well. It's like, oh, like, how can we improve? But going back to what Jason Green was saying towards the beginning, we can also become obsessed with improving, getting better, getting more, changing all the time. And to me, not only does it help for me to accept myself more, because the more I accept myself and just say, I'm okay, and I'm good the way that I am, I'm worthy, I'm enough, right? That's a huge issue is not feeling good enough. The more that I accept myself, the more I can relax into myself and then just evolve when I feel like, basically, it's like I'm changing as an experiment, kind of like what you were saying, Jason. It's like, yeah, it's nice to experiment with things, but I'm not doing it because I feel like I have to. And I think the same thing is true in relationships. How good does it feel when you know 
that somebody loves you for who you are and they accept you fully, who you are today, and they're willing to be there with you as you evolve. I think there's so much anxiety that we have with relationships. And it's like we're trying to maintain things so that nobody ever leaves us and we never feel rejected. And we kind of tiptoe around like, ooh, like, and maybe not everybody approaches it, but it seems like this is a very common thing is not wanting to disrupt the good that we have. And then when things get bad, it's really scary. Maybe we feel like somebody's going to leave us and abandon us. And this is something you've talked about, Jason Robel, a lot of your fears around abandonment and how you've kind of had to struggle through that. So how good does it feel if somebody says, I accept you for who you are and I love you no matter what? It's like that unconditional love that we get from our parents that's so cherished. And to have that in a relationship is such a beautiful thing. And that's a gift that I want to give somebody as opposed to like trying to get somebody to change or trying to find the perfect person or this idea of like, well, I'm in this relationship, but there might be somebody else better. And we're kind of like looking all the time just in case somebody else better comes along. And that energy, I feel like, is a really, that makes me sad just talking about it. How about you guys? Like, what are your feelings on the Jason Green as you're creating all this content and talking to so many people about relationships all the time? Like, where are you right now, personally and professionally, in terms of the amount that you change and try to fix and get better versus maybe just relaxing more into acceptance? Well, it's funny, just in the, you know, when I was with you guys in February, of course, a lot, the whole world's changed. And I listened to that the uh, other day and, you know, I was planning on going to Europe and do all these things. And of course, now travel is not really a smart thing to do. So I feel like the more you plan stuff, that's the less it's going to happen, you know, so you just kind of got to let it happen. And we evolve over time. Retiring from the military, the normal route is to go do some type of management position, some type of military thing or government. And I kind of went the non-traditional. I was like, no, I'm going to go to school, take care of my kids full time. And then I'm going to do my own thing, whatever that is. I'm going to do the entrepreneurial thing, even if it's less money. You know, I was like, I just want to be happy and I don't want to have all that, you know, and so it's not worth the money. So it's like, I definitely have changed over time. And, but I'm sure there's some people, maybe like my friends, family, social media, they're like, oh, you know, what's going on with Jason? You know, <laughs> he's, he's not doing the normal route. I have like, I was going to move to Costa Rica, you know, at one point, I'm still thinking about it, but my friend's like, don't go to Costa Rica, man. You need to stay here in the United States. And I'm like, why? I was like, nothing wrong with Costa Rica, you know, but it's like, you kind of have that mindset of this is what you want to be. So you want everyone else to be like that. I'm like, no, I kind of want to do my own thing. I'd rather not have to worry about having that nine to five job and paying, you know, working just to pay the car or whatever. And I want to just experience what I want to experience because I know what's going to make me happy. And whoever comes along in my life, that's great. I'm not going to really force that. If someone comes, then that's great. You know, if I have to wait another year or two before I get another relationship, then that's okay. I'm okay being by myself. Yes, you do get lonely at times. But, you know, at the same time, I'm like, yeah, it's not really worth it to get into something that's not a good relationship. I'd rather just be a little bit lonely here and there. Hmm. And so with this attachment work, is is the aim to just better understand yourself and other people? Is the aim to improve so that you can be a better partner or be a better person? What do you think is the reason that people are drawn to this or the reason that you were drawn to this? And what do you think is the outcome of it that either you're searching for or you're kind of naturally getting by learning about attachments? Well, when I first discovered after my therapist, you know, said, hey, I think she has this attachment style. As I did the research, I kind of had that like, aha moment. Like, wow, how does this person know everything that went on in our relationship? You know, and I'm now helping people kind of get that aha moment. So that's kind of my joy, I guess, in doing that. And I think that's what really got me into it. It's like, how do people not know about this? You know, and 
I feel like, yeah, it does help. You know, who knows once I get into a long-term relationship, how that will work, but I feel like it does help because at least now I have understanding. You know, like when I dated an avoidant, she would make comments here and there and I didn't realize the level of deepness those comments were, you know? And now I can understand her. Now I'm like, oh, you know, even though the relationship's over, now I'm like, oh, this is why she said this. It wasn't just a small comment. There's some level of deep hurt here that someone else caused. I had nothing to do with, but I'm the one who has to deal with it now at this point. I didn't know how to deal with it at that point. Now I feel like I have a better chance of dealing with that. But also, I also know for myself, I don't want to date another avoidant. You know, if I'd figure that out pretty quick, unless they're willing to work on themselves. And so that's where I think it's kind of helped me. I know what I need, but as I said in the last episode, the amount of secure people, they're very limited in the dating world because they usually get married and and longer relationships. So this kind of helps prepare, I feel like, the dating world for sure. Like you got to know what you're getting into because the older you get, I feel like there's more work to find that person that fits you. And so that's why I've done. I'm like, I'm more secure. Like I just want that one person to be my partner and grow old with. I was like, I don't want to be with a bunch of women. I just really want that one person. And so this helps me find that person hopefully quicker or weed out the ones that are like, no, this is going to be a waste of my next two years. You know, I want to just focus on what could be around the corner. You never know. I am curious about two things, Jason. If there is any corollary that you've read about, researched, or in your own observational studies and teachings, any link between one particular attachment style and a higher incidence of narcissism or self-absorption. And the second thing is in terms of, say, polyamory or multiple partners or alternative forms of intimate relationship, if there's any corollary between a specific attachment style and those type of relationships. So as far as the narcissism, I've only seen one thing on this, and I'm still learning about narcissism. Sometimes you can describe avoidant as like a very watered down version of narcissism. Narcissism is definitely a different whole another level, and that's way more extreme than an avoidant. So just people know that. There are certain types of narcissisms that fit more with, say, an anxious or with an avoidant. I can't remember offhand the name of those specific narcissisms, but there are some that fit that category more. But they are separate, but I know there is some correlation within that. And then I'm glad you brought the polyamorous because you asked that last time and I didn't have a really good answer, but I did find a study on that. So if you have a general knowledge of attachment styles, an avoidant has more sexual partners. Usually they're in and out of relationships more often. So you would think, hey, that's avoidant would probably be more likely to be in a polyamorous relationship. The studies show that avoidance favor a polyamorous relationship more than the other attachment styles. But then they did a study of who's actually in the polyamorous uh, relationships. And actually, it's more secure people. And I thought about it, I was like, well, it's because they have to share people. And of course, you have to be secure, you have to be able to open communicate to have more than one partner, and not have that jealousy of this guy's got a six pack, and I don't whatever, you know, and so or they're getting along better than we get along. And so yeah, secure are more in polyamorous. But avoidance tend to think that's a better idea than the other attachment styles. That is absolutely fascinating to me. But it also makes sense in terms of, you know, the jealousy or the overthinking or being self-critical that if someone who was extremely secure could handle the situation with multiple partners. It's interesting, though, because I think then there's this idea of perhaps an avoidant being drawn to alternative or poly relationships because maybe they don't have to be as deeply emotionally invested in each person. It's like, oh, I can give 
25% here and 15% here and 10% here and and not be fully in each one. And that's been one of my curiosities too in observing friends of mine who are in alternative poly relationships with multiple partners is are you able to fully give yourself in whatever that means to each person, you know, really dedicate yourself fully to each partner? Or is it like, yeah, I'm giving this person 90 and this person 10. And so, yeah, I just wanted your perspective on that because I'm still curious about how people make that work. And I'm sure it's different for every single person in every single context. Yeah. And I also think I've done some videos where you compare like a secure with a secure, a secure dating and anxious and like I said, avoidance tend to think it's a great idea. And maybe it is for some of them. But if you have a group of avoidance together in a polyamorous relationship, that doesn't really vibe well at all. And so because they're both not going to give what they want from each other. And so it may be good for a short term, but in a long term, two avoidance don't really work well together. And that's probably why you don't see a lot of them in there. There's probably a mixture, I'm sure, but there's more secure than anything in polyamorous. Do you have any jealous tendencies? Do you have any work that you've done around jealousy in relationships? As far as me or? Yeah, correct. Yeah. And to blow it out, like, first of all, you in terms of how you've dealt with any jealousy in your life. And also, is that something that you've covered with other people in terms of getting to the psychological root of jealousy or actually what's going on underneath it? Well, luckily, I think my anxious is not too bad unless I'm with an avoidant, but it kind of depends on the situation. I feel like, kind of depends who you're with, but I feel like I've had pretty good people where I didn't have to worry about that unless it's put in front of me. I know one trait of an avoidant when they're trying to, it's called a deactivating strategy, which I think I mentioned before is one of the things they may do is they may talk about like someone flirted with them or they reach out to maybe an ex and they'll tell you about that. Like, hey, I was at the store and this guy tried to get my number. And so that's the point where like, I'll have some jealousy, of course, you know, but I feel like that's kind of normal. But other than that, I, I have total trust in who I'm with as long as they haven't violated that trust. You know, I'm going to give them the benefit of that doubt in advance, of course. Wit, what about you? Jealousy? We've never talked about this, you and I, I don't think. You know, I've noticed in myself a desire to feel special and important. And that's a thread through in a lot of my life. And I actually haven't fully gotten to the bottom of, I should say, the root of that. Perhaps it was having a sister, you know, and kind of like getting envious of treatment but we're also six years apart. So it's interesting too. like, well, what else happened in that six year period of my development that gave me that desire? But I also think it's a very common thing in our society. And sometimes we see these things perpetuating themselves. For example, we see people getting special treatment and maybe there's a natural tendency to want that. And one of the draws in relationship for me is to feel like I'm special and important to one person, which is not something that you get from many other people. You know, your friends usually have other friends. And if you aren't the only child, then your parents have another child. And so I feel like a romantic relationship is one of the rare cases where you could be like the only one and the most important person. But then you have perhaps jealousy of their previous partners, or maybe you feel jealous if they're oogling somebody else, you know, like Jason Robel brought up a celebrity like Ryan Gosling, you know, and getting into that comparison, like, oh, well, they think that person's attractive and I don't look like that person. So maybe I need to look like that person so that they'll think that I'm equally as attractive and thus special, you know? So that's something I reflect on a lot in terms of like your average forms of jealousy. I don't think I get that jealous. I wouldn't consider myself a jealous person. 
And I think a lot of that is just learning to be more secure with myself, you know, and not worrying about superficial things. And again, going back to what I said before, it it's like just releasing this desire to control, you know, like I can't control if somebody feels attracted to somebody else. I don't want there to be shame in that either because I feel attracted to different men even when I'm in relationships, you know, I, I just might not verbalize it. And so the men might not even know that, you know what I mean? So I don't know. I think jealousy doesn't serve us very much. So I've really worked on on not allowing that to get to me too much. And Jason Green, as we start to wrap things up, I think my final question for you is that what is the outcome that you want with your work? Like You're saying it, it feels really good to support people and teach them about attachment styles and what do you think is that driving force for you? And what do you hope if like there's one big outcome that people get from your TikTok and your upcoming podcast and the work that you're doing with this? Like, what is it that you would really love to give people through your work? I just really hope that I can help minimize their hurt. This one driving force, honestly, one woman, one ex of mine kind of basically led me to this. And I don't want them to feel like how I felt, where I felt like I tried it, you know, really hard and it seemed like the worse it got, the more effort I put into it. But now, like I said, I understand that, why that went that way. So I really just want to help people, you know, hopefully get a better chance of either saving that relationship or just picking a better partner in the future. Because like I said, life's short. You don't want to spend your whole life trying to find that one. The quicker you can find them, the better. And then work at it, of course, because it takes work. So it's really just helping them find that person. And, you know, then you can worry about all the other things that come along with life. But Ultimately, I think we all just want to be we with somebody, you know, and enjoy life. So hopefully I can at least reach as many people as possible. TikTok's crazy is the way it's been happening, but I'll accept it for sure. And so I just really want people to not have to go through as much hurt because some of the people, especially the anxious people, you know, they feel like they did all the wrong in the relationship, you know, and it takes two to a relationship to fail. But sometimes one's trying harder than the other. And so I just want them to kind of understand like this is not you did what you could do, but ultimately both people have to work at it for things to work. I feel like you having a show of some kind, Jason, would be, I don't know, I just got a flash as you were saying that of what your hope is in terms of you know helping people with their pain and sorting through all of this. I don't know. I got some flash, not like a talk show, like a... What about a call-in show? Like what if your podcast yeah. is like people call in and, <laughs> and you help yes, you diagnose Whitney. them or something? What is your vision for your podcast on that note, Jason, as you've been developing it? It's funny you say that because my oldest son is a fan of Shark Tank and he loves Barbara Cochran. And he, she has a thing where they call and leave a voicemail and she answers the questions. He's like, you need to do something like that. And I've thought about that because TikTok, you know, right now the trend is you reply to someone's comment and put it up on the yeah. screen. <laughs> or it's like uh, Pat Flynn has that his podcast, Ask Pat, and people can record voice memos, just like similar to what Barbara's doing. So that style could be really cool. If not doing a live recording like we're doing right now, and just have a new person each time. Yeah, I'm going to start with the podcast with explaining uh, attachment styles, which is about 20 episodes. So I'm going to kind of get detailed. And then from there, I'm going to kind of see how it progresses. But I do want to have like interaction with other people like you guys. And then I actually thought about some of these psychologists and therapists on TikTok to kind of get something. But I also like the question and answer thing too, because it, it is hard for me to answer all the TikTok questions because sometimes I get like 100 questions, you know, or comments in one day. Well, Jason, I certainly just feel like I always come away from these conversations feeling like I have more 
tools and more perspectives to certainly now put the rubber to the road that I'm in a relationship. And I kind of feel like, (laughs) I feel like there's some service you could offer for people in real time, maybe through like Voxer or some app like that, where people could hire you for like real time relationship coaching. Like, Hey, I'm in this situation where she feels needy and I feel like I want to push her away. What should I do? And people like will send you a voice memo on Voxer. I feel like you could have a monthly service for that where certainly not at like midnight, but you know, for people to like reach you in real time, like I'm in this situation. What do I do? Well, first of all, Voxer is so old school. Oh, <laughs> like, do so, people wow. even still use that? Sorry, I don't mean to shame you on that. I just thought it was funny. But actually, Jason Green, there there are a, a number of services like that. So I think that's a great idea, Jason Robel. I love that we're like giving you tips on this on the podcast, but maybe other people listening would enjoy these things too, or second what we're saying, or maybe start their own similar businesses. And there's some really great tools out there. People can pay you by the minute or buy packages to get advice. And I really think that'd be lovely. So great idea, Jason. Maybe not Voxer. (laughs) Four years ago. like What is the modern day equivalent of that? Like what's something that... Maybe people do still use it. Maybe I'm sounding ignorant on this. But I'm just thinking like there was a platform that I was approached to be on recently. And it was like a mentor type thing where you share your expertise and people can pay you by the minute or by the session. So I can drop that link. I don't remember the name of it, but I'll put that in the show notes at wellevator.com for the listener. And I can send it over to Jason Green to to try that out too. Because I think that's a really lovely idea just to a support system, whether it's immediate or within 24 hours, just getting that support in your life with relationships would be really helpful. It's funny because I've been practicing with my friends and family. My one cousin going through a relationship and breakup, he would tell me stuff and I'd be like, well, did they do this, this and this? Like, yeah, how do you know that? I'm like, well, it's because of attachment styles, you know? And so now next thing you know, he's taking the quiz and everything. But so I've been practicing with my family for sure. But yeah, I've been definitely picking Whitney's brain for a lot of the stuff because Unlike the vegan podcast that I've kind of put on hold because of this, it's kind of come fast. And so I'm like, okay, how do I reach out, as, reach to as many people as possible in, in this quick time? You know, so I've been asking her a lot of questions, but trying to get this podcast up and really quickly because I'm about to be on the road for the next three weeks. Well, it's an evolution and we're really grateful that you took the time to be on our show again and we can't wait to watch. Maybe you'll be back again for a third episode in four months. Who knows? I'm super excited to listen to that podcast and maybe by the time somebody is listening to this, it'll be your new podcast, Jason Green, will be out. And we'll certainly link to that in the show notes, which again are at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. If you go to the podcast section, There's a search bar. You can search for this episode and learn all about Jason Green and attachments. We'll link to the books and to podcast episodes and to his TikTok, which has been wonderful. Maybe Jason Robel will start doing more TikTok. If anything, Jason Green is such an amazing case study for anybody considering using TikTok as a medium to grow your influence and to reach a bigger audience, to inspire people, educate them. TikTok is a wonderful place for that. And i am just been enjoying watching Jason Green's journey with that. So thank you for sharing more about it. And to the listener, thank you for listening, especially since our episodes are lengthy. We hope you learned a lot about attachments and Jason Green as a person. And we would love to hear from you. So just where you can go to read the show notes, there's a comment section at the end of every episode show notes. So 
If you scroll down to the bottom, you can comment, you can share anything that you're learning, any insight that you got, any questions you have, or any suggestions. Maybe you want to add to the conversation. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us on social media. All three of us have our own accounts. Plus, we have an account for this podcast, which is at Wellevator, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. And you can DM us. Maybe you'll be able to DM Jason Green on TikTok once he gets out of TikTok jail and he's at Relationship Attachments. And we'd all love to hear from you. I think I can speak for all three of us. So you can reach out to us. You can also email me and Jason Robel at hello at wellevator.com. And Jason Green, we will link to your website too so people can get in touch with you if they have private questions. And maybe you're on your website, you'll have a new service for helping people out. <laughs> and uh, getting some customized support there on that site. We look forward to seeing how all your work evolves. And I can't wait to check in with you again soon on another podcast episode. Thank you guys for having me a second time. It's awesome. Yeah, there'll be a lot of more developments as this evolves over this next month or two. Awesome. Well, cheers. Thanks for listening. Jason, you're amazing. Would love to see you on a road trip. Whitney and I are long overdue for another road trip, so perhaps our journeys will take us through Arizona. But again, thanks so much for taking the time to elucidate and educate and inspire. And dear listener, thank you for joining us for this deep exploration on This Might Get Uncomfortable, as we do uh, spelunk and unearth some of the deepest machinations and musings and mindfulness things on this journey of life with you. So thanks for being with us. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 